You're listening to Three Valleys Radio. Welcome to our In Conversation program. Every week we talk to a sporting personality to find out just what makes them tick. From their early childhood, to their professional career, to their musical tastes. We cover it all. So sit back and enjoy as we talk to this week's special guest. Here on Three Valleys Radio. Good evening and welcome to In Conversation here on Three Valleys Radio with me, A.D. Hopper. Now normally we have one of the participants of a particular sport that we're talking about, but today we've got one of the administrators instead. And today I'm delighted to welcome to the show the Chief Executive of Bristol Rovers Football Club, Martin Starnes. Well, good evening, Martin. It's really good to have you on the show. Um, Obviously we're ex-work colleagues, which makes life a lot easier. How are you these days? Yeah, I'm good. Good evening, AD. Yes, I'm very well, thank you. And you? Yeah, no, I'm uh, plodding on as you do, you know. I've had my jab now, so everything sort of uh, should be a little easier from now on. Good. I've got mine on Friday. Oh. I want to come on Friday. Ah, well, there you go. It's painless, trust me. Good. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, Martin, we normally on this show, um, we get in uh, sportsmen, uh, sportswomen, although we haven't had any women yet, but we're hoping to have Holly Doyle soon but uh, just generally participants of sport. So today is slightly different because obviously we've got an administrator of sport in your good self uh, and, and you've been around a little bit. Um, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see how, how you approach some of the, the questions really. But um, let, let, let's start at the right at the beginning. When, when were you born and, and, you know, how old are you now and, and how did you get to this point? Let's sort of chart the history, can we? Um, I was born in 55, Right. so uh, coming up to my 66th birthday uh, next month, which is a bit scary, but uh, it is what it is. And, and, you know, obviously you went to school, what have you. How did you get into this sort of situation? And did you, you did play football a bit, didn't you, for a while, semi-professional, I think I'm right in saying? Yeah, well, I, I played football all, all the way through school um, and then played um, local football, um, a little bit of semi-professional football. I played uh, Southern Amateur League. Um, uh, in, in the London area um, and I did that until I was um, 30 but before that I'd been a season ticket holder at QPR for many years with my father he allegedly took me to my first game when I was two I remember my first game when I was uh, seven mm-hmm. and uh, we, we went to Loftus Road you know, every, every other week even every, every week sometimes you'd even go and watch the reserves play so who, who was your first game against? The first one I remember was against uh, Peterborough. All right, yeah. Did they win? It, it was a three-all draw. Right, right. And I had uh, we had three uh, Peterborough supporters sitting behind us because there was no segregation in the in the early sixties. Yeah. 
and uh, they were chanting uh, Peterborough, Peterborough, posh, 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 all the way through the game. <laughs> and at the end, they realised they'd been a bit noisy, and they just had a, a whip round with all their sixpences and gave them to me. Oh, that's nice of them. From that point, I was hooked. Yeah, I what, hooked on Peterborough or QPR still? I was hooked on QPR, and uh, I think I was hooked on sixpences as well. <laughs> yeah, well. <laughs> um, so, but, I mean, in, in early life, you were, I think I'm right in saying you were an accountant, right? Yeah, I left school at 18. Uh, I had no desire to go to university, um, and I went straight into an accountancy training programme and uh, eventually qualified as a, a chartered certified accountant. So in the words of John Cleese, and consequently very boring. <laughs> yeah, indeed, yes, absolutely. <laughs> uh, but no, I suppose we all need accountants, don't we, regardless of what we might like to think, because uh, well, I found out doing my tax return this year, so <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> you, yeah. you, you need them, even though they don't. The, I, I always think of accountants and solicitors and dentists and vets in particular being highwaymen, I'm afraid. Uh, when it comes to their fees, but there we go. That's one of my little. Well, I I probably agree with all of those um, assessments, uh, mm. with the exception of accountants. Yeah. All right then. <laughs> <laughs> so so what was um? No, hang on a minute, Martin. I, I forgot to mention to you. Every so often, I'm going to say hold it there, so we can have a break in the timeline, so as I know where to put the music. Yep. Okay. So if I just say hold it, so hold it there. And then I get a nice big line which I can cut out, which makes it a lot easier. Right. Okay. Yeah. So, Martin. So, so what was your first, um, you know, administrative role as far as football is concerned? How did you get involved in that? Well, I'd worked in um, semi-professional football, um, really, for quite a while mm -hmm. um, as a as a coach um, and and administrator. I used to help out at uh, Wokingham Town and Sherbourne Town. Um, on the commercial side and the finance, finance side, obviously very small numbers at clubs like that. Um, but um, that was my, my introduction, really, to um, the administrative side of, of football. And then um, I, I coached Sherbourne Town um, boys and men's team for a number of years. And uh, I was living in the Yeovil area, and an advert appeared in the Western Gazette for a finance and admin manager at Yeovil Town. Mm -hmm. And uh, I applied, and to my astonishment, I was uh, given the job. So I've managed to stay in football ever since in uh, in either a finance and admin role or a CEO role. So, um, you know, how did you find it different when you first arrived and um, had to put up with the likes of me for a start? Well, I think over the over the years, I've, uh, I've said a number of times that uh, football... The football business is the most difficult to uh, manage. I'd worked in the IT industry um, for probably 20 years prior to that, and uh, I found football much tougher as a, as a management um, exercise um, just because of all the nuances involved with uh, you know, managers, players, um, fans, um, PR and media guys. You know, it was really, really quite um, uh, testing. <laughs> <laughs> a nice word testing that martin very very well put <laughs> so um you know you, you you've obviously found your feet at yeovil and, and working with john fry and, and i know you know from obviously my own personal experience you were working very closely with john as uh, his assistant to a large degree i suppose from a financial point of view and everything else how did you find that 
Yeah, it was great. I mean, John had been in the business uh, for, for some time um, at Yeovil Town. Um, the model that he had there was absolutely right for the for the club. And, um, you yeah, know, we ran a very tight ship, as you know, AD, having to uh, break even um, every year, even though our budget was a 200, £250,000 loss. Mm. Um, we would make it up with uh, fortune income one way or another. Uh, very occasionally, Mr. Haywood would have to put some, some money in uh, to help us. But by and large, we were self-sufficient. And uh, Yeovil Town was a great place to be while I was while I was there. Where were Yeovil Town during that period of time that you were there? What what division were we in then? We were, we were in uh, League One um, oh. because I had two spells, if you remember, AD at, at mm. Yeovil. First yes, of all, yeah. finance manager. Then yeah. I had a I had a move to Swindon. Then John asked me to come back as CEO. And during that second spell, um, yeah, we had uh, Russell Slade to start with, then Terry Skiverton took over, and then Gary Johnson came back. Uh-huh. And um, it was a very successful period for a club that was um, relatively small for the division and had a relegation budget. And uh, we got promoted to the championship through the playoffs. Well, hang on a minute, because you're going ahead of yourself quickly there. Um, let, let's go back to your first your first uh, uh, spell at Yeovil. Um, yep. <clears throat> where were we then? League two? Um, I think we just... Um, got promoted to league to league one. League one, right? It was, okay. was two thousand and four. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, it would have been then. Yeah. Just oh, yeah. uh, because I joined in two thousand and two, uh, and we were conference then. Then we had one year. So two. Yeah. No, it would have been league two. I think Martin. Would have oh, been, league two. Okay. Yeah. So I think it would have been was, league it two. It was the year we played the Liverpool in the cup. Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty sure so it's league two thousand three four season. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's when I had the firework off in my face. I remember that well. Oh right. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so I mean, okay, league two, but I mean, it was all new to uh, to everybody at Yeovil Turn, including myself. Then, um, you know, it was an adventure. It was great. Uh, certainly, in my, uh, I think to start with, it must have been Gary Johnson again then with, with you. Then it was. Yeah, Gary was there then. Yeah. And that was my phone going off, which we'll have to cut out in a minute. Um, but uh, it was all a, all a big adventure. But then you you suddenly, well, I say suddenly, but you decided to leave to go to Swindon. How did that come about? And, and what was the difference really between Yeovil and Swindon? Well, I think at the time, uh, John Goddard Watts um, was was in charge at, uh, at Yeovil. Um, there was um, you know concerns about... Um, cash flows and budgets and that type of thing and um, I'd been brought in really initially for the for the year and uh, they didn't want me to continue in that in that role and John John Fry was very instrumental in getting me um, in front of the Swindon folk because they'd been having um, financial difficulties and it was right up my street really to go in there and uh, try and um, sort out the, the mess that existed hold it there Martin Bloody phones. Fucking things. Shut that off. Okay, so what exactly then does it, you know, I mean, obviously you went to an interview and, and you obviously uh, you obviously cut the mustard there because they took you on. So, But what what exactly were you faced with when you got to Swindon and, and, and what were the responsibilities that were thrown at you? Well, they hadn't filed accounts for three years. And I don't think anybody would get away with that um, anymore. Company's house were quite lax in those days. Um, But um, uh, 
obviously the accounts need to be all up to date. There were no management accounts uh, being produced. Um, cash flow was uh, was was difficult there. Um, the own the owners were being required to put in um, sort of eight hundred thousand uh, pounds a year, and they didn't want to be putting that amount in. So um, there was uh, a lot of adjustments going on to try and um, get the the club to be closer to a sustainable model. Um, which was extremely difficult when you've got legacy contracts to deal with. And presumably it didn't make you Mr. Popularity there, having to get everybody to cut back. Um, it wasn't too, it wasn't too bad, actually. I, I developed over time um, some good relationships with, uh, with staff and with, with fans. Um, obviously, in, in football, you're not going to please all the people all the time, and you're going to have uh, people that you know, don't agree with what you do and the decisions you make. And you've also got the converse where people can see what you're trying to achieve. So it was a, it was a little bit of a mixed bag. And it was complicated by the fact that um, whilst I was finance and admin manager, um, the club got, got relegated to League Two. We'd been in League One. Hmm. And um, there needed to be a reset. And uh, the owners brought in Dennis Wise as uh, manager. And... Um, I got promoted to CEO, um, and Dennis Wise left. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm not, I'm not correlating the two, but uh, that, that's what happened. Hmm. I think uh, yeah, Dennis and I were there together for about two weeks. Yeah. Um, and then um, we took on Sturrock. Right. And uh, I developed a, a very strong um, relationship with, with Paul over the, over the year um, that we were there, and uh, he got us promoted again at the first time of asking. Mm. So that was a very exciting period. So, so for the, I mean, the, the majority of people that are going to be listening to this are going to be football fans. You know, what does what does the chief executive's role embrace in terms of of your responsibilities? Or what did it at, at Swindon anyway? Well, just about everything, um, really. You know, you go from you know neg negotiating the. Uh, the, the the contract for the cleaners, if you like, on the one hand, hmm. to negotiating player contracts and manager contracts on the other, and then and everything in between. So, um, with with my financial experience, um, a lot of focus was on that for me. Some CEOs come from a marketing and commercial background, so that becomes their focus. Mm -hmm. But in a in a smallish club like uh, Swindon and, and Yeovil. You sort of have uh, you have to be involved in just about everything that's going on, with the exception of um, picking the team. Well, when it came to signing new players, which I'm sure this is the sort of area that our listeners would want to kind understand, how can you can you talk us through a typical transfer? You know, from literally from day one when the name is first mentioned, through to the point of uh, action where you actually sign the contract with him. Well, it varies from club to club. I mean, some clubs, you know, the, man, the manager has the experience and the, and the knowledge to um, negotiate um, with a player, and he, he basically then brings the potential deal to me to, um, to finish off, if you like, mm -hmm. uh, to do the final negotiations. Um, sometimes it's um, a director of football. The director of football will recommend a list of players to the manager, the manager will then choose which player out of that list he wants, and it'll get handed over to me to then negotiate um, with the with the agent, which is usually the case. 
and we you know before we go into negotiations we've already set our own internal parameters as to how far we're prepared to go in terms of uh, wages and when it when it comes to agents i mean certainly we've had some colorful agents floating about at yeovil i know in my during my time there and i i would imagine you'd have had the same at swindon uh i mean just how difficult are they to deal with well, it can be extremely difficult. I mean, some some of them um, are really looking to position their player um, with the club that's going to be most favourable to the agent. <clears throat> excuse mm. me. Um, and uh, you know, they they can be very influential over players as to which club um, they they sign for. On the other hand, there are there are agents that we develop um, good relationships with, and they they know the style of play and what we're trying to achieve at the football club. And they will they will push the cl- the player towards us. So it varies um, quite quite wildly. Uh, there are some there are some decent agents out there, and there's some some quite poor ones. Did you did you ever have any um, you know really difficult scenarios where you know it got really nasty or or not? No, not really. None, none that I certainly nothing that I'd like to put in the public domain. That's for sure. No, no. But um, I mean, I'm just thinking of people like this this guy, um, Mini Mino Rilo, or whatever his name is, the one who represented Paul Pogba. When you see uh-huh. the sorts of money that they were getting, I mean, you know, I I, I failed to understand how football clubs can can get involved in a deal. Uh, all right, I know we're talking right at the top and not not Swindon's case, but how they can get involved in a deal where a, an agent walks away with up to four million pounds. I mean, it's... Well, I mean, it's it's beyond me, and it's it's above my pay grade, really, because I mean, these are people that are dealing with Premier League clubs, where you know there are huge sums of money involved. We're we're never involved with agents at that level, really. No. Um, you know, sometimes they try it on and ask for ten uh, percent commission, and the answer to that is always no. Yeah. Um, the standard commission for an agent is uh, is is five percent on the basic salary, but it's it's five percent per year, hmm. uh, which again I'm not um, enthralled about. Um, but that's what you have to pay in order to get players of a certain caliber in. And I'd certainly like to see the uh, percentage on commission for agents reduced to, you know, three percent. Well, especially when they're presumably drawing it from the club and the player himself. Well, this this is a possibility. Yeah, absolutely. Hmm. So anyway, you you. You were at Swindon. You you obviously got the house in order a little bit better. Um, what made you leave Swindon? Was that John Fry coming and saying, "Come and come to the Oval"? Well, for, there were there were two aspects to it. First of all, Swindon owners were trying to sell. Mm-hmm. There'd been one or two um, abortive um, attempts um, before another consortium came in, and it was quite clear that uh, they'd probably want to bring their own management team in. So. Um, both Paul Sturrock and I felt a little bit uh, vulnerable, shall we say. Yeah. And Paul managed to um, go back to Plymouth Argyle, where he was very <laughs> successful before. Mm-hmm. And uh, coincidentally, I got a phone call from John Fry asking me to go back to Yeovil uh, uh, to as CEO, um, which I was uh, delight- delighted to receive that offer. And Paul and I left Swindon within a month of each other. All right. Okay, hold it there for a minute, Martin. So you're back at Yeovil. You're having to put up with me again. 
Um, what were the high spots of Yeovil? I suppose the promotion years when we got into the uh, the championship really has to be, I suppose, isn't it? Yeah, that was definitely that was definitely the high spot. But I mean, we had uh, you know a pretty good time um, throughout, even though um, you know we sometimes started seasons with uh, with some difficulty. Um, we we used to be able to turn it round. I remember we had um, a great time with all the Tottenham loanies. Mm-hmm. Um, Stephen Corker, Ryan Mason, um, John Abika, Andros Townsend all came to Yeovil as a result of Terry Skiverton's, um connections with uh, with John McDermott at Spurs. Yeah. And what a great bunch of lads we had on the coaching staff, you know, with Terry um, and uh, Nathan Jones. Um, we had our we had our uh, dramas. I mean, the accident to Darren Way yeah. um, was was shocking, um, and uh, it was a very difficult time for him, and um, a difficult time for the club. We had uh, him out injured. Um, unfortunately, it was a career-ending injuries from that car crash, and we had Mark Bertram out injured. Um, and they were both on good contracts at the at the club for the size of club we were, and it was a very it was a very challenging time, but re- re- rewarding time because we we got through it. We all pulled together, and uh, and got through it and stayed in the division. When it came to managerial situations, um, I know generally they're, they're they're dealt with by boards of boards of uh, directors etc. But presumably, you sometimes have to fire the bullets. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, that's that that that's fair to say. Um, I haven't had to do it very often, um, thankfully, until uh, quite quite recently. But uh, yeah, generally speaking, uh, I mean, John Fry used to have a saying, um, which I've adopted, and I hope he doesn't mind that uh, I I don't sack people; they sack themselves. And there's 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 a lot of truth in that. Hmm. But you know, I found working for John Fry for fifteen years that. You know, I thought he was a fantastic... I, I never fell out with him. I, or just maybe once we had a, a slight exchange of views. But apart from that, I never fell out with him. I thought he was a great guy. And yet, you know, uh, public domain sometimes, him and Norman were cast in the, in, the, in the shape of the devil, which I could never understand, really. Well, no, correct. Because, I mean, they. I, I know they were perceived to be lacking in ambition. But, I mean... It was it was ambitious to stay in in League One with the size of um, crowds that we that we had, and um, the fact that you know w- the the owners um, were not um, putting hundreds of thousands, if not millions, into the club, and it's become expected that um, owners will uh, fund players' wages, but it doesn't happen in any other industry, does it? I mean, no. you only. Yeah, other other businesses, you've got to make a profit. Well, mm. we're not necessarily looking to make a profit, but we don't want to be losing, you know, millions of pounds every year. No, it's, it's just not sustainable. Mm. And of course, you know, largely dependent sometimes on on some transfers out of the club rather than into the club. And certainly in Yeovil's case, I mean, we had the, the Chris Cohen, um, Aaron Davis transfer to Nottingham Forest, which was a which was a huge sort of um, lump sum that must have come into the club, which helped a lot that particular year. Well, of, of course, and um, you know it's it's quite important that clubs the size of Yeovil do try and develop their own talent and and generate revenue like that. It, it helps to finance the budget for you know one, two, maybe three seasons. Hmm. 
Now, during, during your time there, I know you were also involved in in the creation of the uh, academy and and the uh, community uh, community. What's the last word? Come on, help community me. trust. Trust. That's the word I was looking for. Um, it's always been a little bit stop start at Yeovil, and uh, you know I, I don't know how you felt about that because I know you put a lot of work into making it all work. Yeah, well, I was very very keen for us to be uh, trying to develop our own talent. What happened with the academy while I was there is that the E Triple P um, came in, and um, it changed the the metrics really in terms of the amount of money that was expected to be put in by the club. Mm. Um, to finance the whole infrastructure for a, an academy. And I seem to recall that you know, we were going to be required to put in an extra £100,000 yeah, um, to comply with, with the Cat 3 Academy. Mm. And um, the, the money just wasn't there. Yeah, we'd have had to have taken it off the, the first team playing budget and we were already on a relegation budget, so it didn't make a lot of sense. So we had to, um, unfortunately... Um, disband the academy at that time, which was which was disappointing, but uh, it was something that financially we had to do. Um, hold it there a minute, Martin. So eventually, uh, the passing of the ways came at Yeovil, and you you were off again to a new adventure at Plymouth. What what brought that about? Well, I mean, it was quite clear that, um, you know, in getting promoted to the championship, um, the club couldn't go any further, really. Uh, it doesn't matter how ambitious um, you are. Um, trying to sustain championship football um, with a club that size was going to be impossible. And I just felt I'd done six years at Yeovil. It was time to go and have another challenge. And Plymouth Argyle, which is a relatively big club, were languishing near the bottom of League Two, and um, I felt that that would be you know, a really good challenge for me to go in there and see if we could uh, improve things at um, at Plymouth. But going back to a comment you made just now that that you, you you couldn't see that we could sustain Championship football any longer. Uh, I always remember when we played Watford at Vicarage Road. Uh, I'm pretty sure we won three one. I think it was. Byron Webster, Ishmael Miller and somebody else, Aaron Davis, I think it was. Um, and Gary said to me, coming out of the ground, he said, you know, Aid, he said, this is a time we need to gamble. And he said, I think if we could have another half a million for players now, the budget at the end of the day would be enhanced by, was it? I think it's about five million you got for staying in the yeah. championship. Correct. Now, uh, clearly the board didn't decide, or John Fry and Norman Hayward decided that wasn't the way to go. How would you have felt if you were in the in the decision making process for that one? Well, I think it, I think it's very difficult. I think I would have um, taken the more cautious approach because even if you spent another half a million in the championship, um, it was probably still going to be the lowest budget in the division. Mm. And um, you know you're rolling the dice with that amount of money, and uh, you may not get the result that uh, that you were looking for. Yeah. Um, very 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 difficult decisions these are to be to be made and you know part of my job is risk management mm. and um i i would have thought that um under the circumstances it would have been a lot better um accepting that you know you may not the club may not survive in in the championship more than one season and we've seen a number of small clubs go up and not be able to survive 
you know, beyond two seasons. You know, you get, I remember Colchester years ago got up, mm. I think, on their home form. They, they stayed in the division for a year and then came back down again. It's very difficult. I think the, the, the issue is if you're going to come back down, make sure you're financially secure. Yeah, yeah. And Yeovil were financially stronger coming back into League One than they were when they went up. And we've seen that in the Premier League as well when, you know, your West Broms and Burnleys have yo-yoed a little bit between the Premier League and, and the Championship, that they, they go up, um, they generate some, some additional revenue. They, it might not be enough to keep them in the division. They come down, but when they go up again, they're much stronger. Well, that's Burnley a, are a very good case in point. Mm. But then again, it's ironic, isn't it, that in, in Yeovil's case, they would have... Uh, they took the decision that they did and they didn't invest the extra 500,000 on players uh, and they got relegated. Um, but they would have had the parachute payment, presumably, the next season when they were back in League One. No parachute payment from the Championship to League One. Ah, right. Well, there's something I didn't know, you see. You yeah. learn something every day, don't you, Martin? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so in their case, I guess, you know, if had there been a parachute payment, maybe, maybe it would have been easier, but... Uh, they went different, down. Different, and, different dynamic in the decision making, then, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, quite, quite. So you, you've moved on for this new challenge, Plymouth down the bottom of League Two. Um, how did you find it when you got there? Because you, you you clearly had some, well, I wouldn't say problems, but certainly some uh, some jobs to sort out at, at Swindon. How different was it at Plymouth? Um, well, bigger club, um, you know, bigger bigger supporter base. Um, the offices down there were, were porter cabins. You know, there'd been no investment in the club for for years. It had only come out of administration um, uh, a, a year before I joined. So the new the new owner was very much finding his feet. He'd not been in football before. Um, he had a club secretary there that was very experienced. He had uh, me come in with uh, quite a bit of experience at that point. And it was it was a question really of of just trying to reset the club um you know there were no um sort of accounts being done at the time so it was very difficult monitoring um performance uh, so that's one of the things that we fixed uh, very early on split the club down into its constituent elements into its different departments and started making people responsible and accountable for their own area of uh, business and slowly but surely we we uh, managed to get improvements in in performance on and off the pitch. I think the first season I was there, we finished tenth. Uh, um, it was it was um, uh, an absolute uh, target uh, for me to make sure that we we did no worse than break even because the owner had already put quite a lot of money in in, in acquiring the club, and um, he'd stated publicly and to me that he wasn't going to put any more in. So. Managing managing the cash flow there because of the um, irregular um, income streams that you get in football clubs to a certain extent, um, it was it was it was challenging for the first two or three years, mm. and well, it wasn't until Derek Adams came in um, that we we really started competing at the at, at the upper end of the table. And um, you know, how did you get on with Derek Adams? I mean, clearly it's important that the chief exec gets on well with his managers and you, you seem to have done that in each case. Yeah, Derek, Derek was absolutely brilliant um, to, to work with. I um, mean, he, he was uh, meticulous in his uh, planning, um, very intelligent guy. Um, and, um, you know, he had 
he was prepared to work with with what he had in the building in terms of uh, players to a large extent. Um, he was prepared to work with the with the budget. There were no, there was never any issues um, as far as budget was concerned while I was there, and um, it was just a, a strong um, working relationship. We we trusted each other a hundred percent. And and how were Plymouth doing generally f throughout your time there? What they got up to League One, certainly didn't they? Yeah, we were on an upward curve the whole time. I think we improved our position every season I was there, and I, I don't take uh, uh, credit for that. That was down to the, the manager and the coaching staff. I suppose the credit I would take was um, the fact that I I appointed or was involved in the appointment of Derek Adams, mm. and he was the right person for the job um, at that time. Yeah, and he did very well there. Yeah, absolutely. Eventually getting promotion. And of course now, I mean, I know you've moved on since then, but now that they're building a new stand down there, aren't they, I think? Or... Well, they've re refurbished um, the stand that was it, that was there. It was a pretty heavy refurbishment, but mm. uh, it's been completed at great expense. That was the same side as where the dressing rooms were, wasn't it? Correct, yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's what I thought, yeah. yeah. So, um, all right, so Plymouth was... How long were you at Plymouth? Five seasons. Five seasons, right. Okay, hold it there a minute, Martin. So after five seasons, suddenly you're on the move again, Martin. Where are we going now then? Go to Bristol Rovers, where I am now. Right. And again, talk us through that. How did that all come about? Well, I was becoming very uneasy with the whole refurbishment of the grandstand project down in Plymouth. Hmm. Um, it was given a budget of uh, five million, which was never going to be enough. And um, everything that we'd specified for the for the stand was being compromised to try and get it down to that number. And to the extent that if we'd got it down to that number, it was never going to deliver what the owner expected it to deliver in terms of future revenues. Mm -hmm. So I just felt that, you know, I, I can't maintain collective responsibility on this project. So I started looking around for um, another job. It's, it's you know, really important that you can show a united front whenever you're making decisions. Yeah. Um, in any business, let alone a football club, you know. So um, it so happened that I'd met uh, Mr. Wal Alcardi on the circuit previously. Mm-hmm. And um, I just picked up the phone to him and uh, had a chat. I said, can I, can I meet you? Um, we met in, in London. And um, just coincidentally, because I didn't know this at the time, he started looking for a chief exec at uh, Bristol Rovers, oh, right. a club he'd acquired a couple of years earlier. Mm -hmm. So um, he offered me the job there and then. And I said, I'd be, be uh, delighted to come and work with you. So, you know, the, the guys, he, he is a banker, I think I'm right in saying, yeah? Yes, his, fa his family um, have got a bank in Jordan. So do you think that, that by the mere fact that that was made public, that the Bristol Rovers fans would have got a little bit excited, like, oh, we've got a banker here, which means we've got an open checkbook or not? Well, they, they may have done. I mean, that was obviously before my, my time in terms of hmm. the fans' reaction to him coming in. Um, I mean, since he's been at the club, he's, he's put twenty million pounds into it, um, you know, to finance the the team and the training ground that we're in the process of um, uh, developing. So he's committed a, he's committed himself and a lot a lot of money to the football club, 
and uh, you know, I, I I imagine that it's more than any other owner has put into uh, Bristol Rovers. So he's to be he's to be um, applauded and thanked, I think, for everything he's done for the club so far. And do you think uh, his his expectations are being met down there at the moment? Well, he's um, he's he's very pragmatic. I mean, he you know he understands the the, the difficulty of, of football clubs and, and what you're up against. I mean, when you're in the same division as clubs like Sunderland uh, and, and Ipswich and, and Portsmouth that are finding it difficult to get out of the division, um, you you recognise that uh, you know it's it's even harder for a club like Bristol Rovers. I mean, we have we have ambition to get in the Championship. But League One, as you know, Eddie, is, is extremely competitive, mm. and um, you know every game. Every game is a battle, and a lot of it depends on you know whether you can keep your your best eleven players fit, as we did as we did at Yeovil when we got promoted to the Championship. Yeah, but you know you say uh, League League One is a competitive battle. I mean, I think all of the leagues are League Two is just as bad. I think really. Um, well, that's true. They they are. It's uh, it's it's it's. It's it's very it's very very difficult to um, consistently put a winning winning side together, and of course, if you are doing particularly well with all the analytics that go on now and the amount of um, uh, filming that goes on, uh, yeah, your best players are going to get targeted. Mm. So trying to keep your your squad together is is difficult, and yeah, if you sell a player trying to recruit a new one that's going to come in at the same level again is is very difficult you know the the play the players that are capable of playing in each division it's a small it's a small pond that you're fishing in and of course whichever players you bring in they it takes time not everybody can just come in and meet you know uh, hit the ground running as as some players can but some players equally can't it takes them a long time before they can you know up their ante to to the level that's required really well, it, it does because you're asking in some instances for them to, to move home. Um, in, in moving, you know, they're generally on fairly short-term contracts, so the, the, the move is somewhat temporary. They may not even stay in the location at, at weekends after the game. They may go home, go home to families. They may have children um, in schools that they don't want to uh, relocate. Um, it can be quite difficult for a player to settle. Hmm. And, and that sort of another part of the responsibility of being a chief exec of, of I suppose helping to sort those sort of problems out yeah indeed absolutely mm, definitely well hold it there a minute Martin so looking back over how many total years have you been now five at uh, 17 now 17 um, in professional football yeah okay so what would you say have been the high spots of those 17 years and what have been the low points? Um, the, the high points for me, because I'm a football person and I'm very competitive myself, you know, I've been fortunate enough to get promoted with um, my three previous clubs. So Swindon, Yeovil and Plymouth um, I've been promoted with, mm. um, which has been fantastic. Um, we played, when I was at Plymouth, we played Liverpool at Anfield um, in the FA Cup and drew nil nil, and brought them back to home park and only lost uh, one nil in the replay. And they were fabulous um, experiences. And so, you know, I'm now at Bristol Rovers, uh, and I've come to Bristol Rovers with the firm intention of trying to get, you know, another promotion. 
because that's what uh, that's what it's all about for me. Uh, running a sustainable uh, football club um, that can produce success for for its fans, and um, we're on that journey, and we'll see where it takes us. Well, of course, it's it's caused a, a slight sort of um, what shall I say bend in the road, and that you've had to make a, a somewhat difficult decision just recently to to dispense with the services of Paul Tisdale. That sort of thing must be very difficult, just to, just as a, an ordinary individual human being to another human being. It's extremely difficult, and uh, you know these these are some of the worst moments that you have in football. And as uh, as I've said before, you know you don't do these things uh, uh, lightly. And I've been fortunate not to have to do it uh, very often hmm. um, until I got to Bristol Rovers. <laughs> uh, funnily enough, yeah. But um, you know it's a cliche. Um, it is a results business, and although you know you want to give a plant manager plenty of time to try and turn things round, in the process of doing that, you've got to be able to see that there are improvements um, along the way. Hmm. And if you if if you feel that uh, you're not not within touching distance of a turnaround in in performances, you you got to um, you know change the manager. Um, a little bit earlier than ideally you would you would like, and um, yeah, that's been that's been the the case um, in Paul. I mean, Paul is a a lovely guy, um, very good coach, um, very good to get along with. But at the end of the day, if you're not getting results, and mm. there doesn't seem to be, um, yeah, the prospect of getting good results, a change has got to be made. Mm. So would I be right in saying then that the low points would be having the sack managers? Well, that that and the whole COVID experience, AD, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's been very challenging. Well, I don't think anybody could have could have expected it to come, and 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 what's come with it, really. That's that's the point, isn't it? It's it's the, no, correct. The baggage that it brings with it, sort of thing, and the financial baggage as well, because it's obviously quite a, a costly exercise. Um, you know, but looking back, Martin, who stands out in terms of the individuals, be it players, be it managers, be it just football people generally, who stand out in your in your journey? Who do you who do you think? Yeah, now that I've got a real warm feeling with that guy. Um, well, I've got a lot of respect for Gary Johnson mm -hmm. and, and and what what he achieved um, for Yeovil on, on a small budget. Um, Terry Skiverton and Nathan Jones were were, were top guys too work with as as indeed was Darren Way uh, I love those guys in terms of uh, players uh, yeah Paddy Paddy Madden stands out because he got the goal at uh, Wembley to set us on our way and he came from Carlisle having not scored many goals for them and I think he finished top scorer in the season we got promoted with 23 and so he was a revelation um, having those Tottenham boys at, at Yeovil again was a was a high spot um, for me. Yeah, watching those lads uh, develop um, whilst they were playing for uh, for Yeovil. Um, probably the best the best footballer um, that uh, that I can think of that I've witnessed is Graham Carey at Plymouth Argyle. Yeah, I mean he was such an influential part of uh, that team, and he was uh, when he was on form, he was an absolute joy to watch. Well, Martin, it's been an experience. It's been very interesting. I hope you know the listeners will have perhaps learnt a little bit more about what it's like to be a chief executive at a, a professional football club and some of the problems that come with it, as much as the joys as well. I know we get that every Saturday when we get three points, but uh, 
nonetheless the the problems can sometimes be very difficult i imagine but uh, thank you ever so much for joining us it's been really enlightening and um who knows over the next five or six years maybe we'll have another four or five clubs to go to we can do it again <laughs> thanks a lot ad thanks for asking me no it's brilliant mate thank you martin